0: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
1: Hello, welcome back, queers. This is episode one, season three of Thesis on Joan.
0: Thesis on Joan is a podcast dedicated to amplifying voices from the LGBTQ plus community in the New York
1: performing arts scene and examining the industry from a queer perspective. Join us as we sit down with groundbreaking theater folks, both on stage and behind the curtain. For many
0: queers, theater has been an escape, and this podcast looks to have open conversations on where we've come from and where we're headed as a community while clearing the canon along the way. Hi, Megan. We're back. I missed you. I know, it
1: really does feel like it's been so long.
0: It does. I'm glad, I'm really glad we took such a long break, but I did miss talking to you in this form, even though I talked to you a lot while we were on break. Yeah, that's
1: true. (laughs) (laughs) We needed the, the break from like the, the paperwork side of it, I guess. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) But yeah, we're, we're here. I can't believe it's season three as well. I know we said this for season two, but like, uh, yeah, thinking back, we started talking about this in 2019. Wow, here we are before the world completely changed. <laughs> <laughs> and to that point, it's like this season. I feel like we're kind of getting back to what we actually intended the podcast to be from the very beginning. Yeah,
0: and and I feel just approaching that kind of format in such a different mindset <laughs> from 2019. But it's really exciting and it's really cool to to look back at all the people we've talked to um in the last three seasons or two seasons. And I'm very excited about the guests we have coming up this year too.
1: Yeah. And it's like so exciting to like see these people we've been excited about or even people that we've talked to and now they have their work up and they're doing the thing. And I know we said that last year, but now it's like, in person. So.
0: <laughs> I, I feel like I'm more in a flow of like going to see theater now too. So I feel a lot more comfortable doing it. And yeah, I'm like, Oh, I've renewed my TDF uh, subscription. I'm like, okay, we're going to go see some stuff. Hopefully we can make it through this spring without another
1: surge. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. And I just feel like the way that we've been talking about theater, like outside of this, as I was thinking back, this morning to how we were talking about Wicked and how most of our conversation was like, how it was weird to be in this space and like Mm -hmm. how safe we felt. And I feel like I, that didn't really come up at all. The show we're about to talk about, we didn't really have that conversation. So,
0: yeah. Now, now that I've seen several shows and like I have KN95 masks and the, you know, the vaccine and the mask mandate still in place with theaters. I still feel, I feel pretty
1: good going at this point. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. For the things that seem worth the risk. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this season, we are going to do a mix of talking a little more in depth about shows and also include some really amazing interviews. So there won't be as many interviews as there were in season one or two when we didn't actually have the opportunity to go see any shows, <laughs> very few shows. Um, so it's just going to be a little different around here, but we're excited to kind of get back to doing what we... We love beyond interviewing, which is talking about shows we've seen.
0: Yeah. We're querying our own format, which yes, what
1: we should be doing. Yep. Perfect way to put it. Uh, so we, we have been seeing some things since, since we last talked on the podcast. Um, what what's something that you'd like to shout out that you saw, Holly?
0: Yeah. Well I'll do a quick shout out that I saw one of the Ring of Keys uh Queering the Canon concerts. I watched the streaming version of the Candor and Ebb concert and it was very fun. Um it's such a cool concept. Um where they take, you know, uh, composers, musical theater writers, and they kind of, it's like half, uh, a tribute concert where they sing through some of their songs, and then also they have queer and trans writers write, um, new versions of those songs, or songs that are like, based or inspired by the original Candor Neb songs, uh, and they're, it's all sung by Keys members, uh, so it's a very queer, trans uh, cast. Um, our previous guests were a part of this. Executive producer Andrea Prestonario, she also performed, and Dionne McLean Freeney was the music director, and uh, one of her songs was also performed, too. Awesome. Yeah, it was such a, a great queer cabaret night of theater. But I, I want to talk more in depth about uh I saw Wolf Play by Hansel Young and directed by Dustin Wills. And that was at Soho Rep. Yeah, this this one, it was it was complicated for me. It's it's an adoptee story and I'm an adoptee. Um And it tell told the story of a young Korean boy who. Was rehomed basically. Um, he was adopted into a white family, and that white family suddenly got pregnant again. They had another child, um, and there was some like behavior issues with the Korean child, and they decided to put him up for re adoption on the internet. Oh, uh, oh, and he, uh, there's another uh, interracial queer couple who um decided to adopt him and it was kind of a surprise to one of the uh the people in the couple and who like really didn't agree with uh the way it was done because it was it, it was all through the internet and like, there was no like agency involvement or anything questionable legal things happening. What the heck? Yeah. yeah. So it was very upsetting because, because, you know, the child had no agency uh and he was obviously having a lot of like behavioral issues because, you know, he felt really unsafe. Um, and the puppet was, or sorry, the, the
1: child was portrayed as a puppet. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> a, there is a puppet. Oh my gosh. It's a I, puppet. I was like, what a weird slip, but no, there's actually a puppet. Okay. No, yeah. The, the
0: adoptee was played by a puppet, uh, and, and, and an actor who, uh, um, was kind of like the host of the evening and he like introduced the play and then he, um, controlled the puppet throughout the show. Uh, which also had me question, like the actor who played the child was, didn't appear to be Korean hmm. and I bet he is, you know, part asian part korean but it really disturbed me that it it kind of looked like a white presenting person was playing this asian child Mm -hmm. even if it was a puppet And, and i think it just suffered from like a lot of what adoptee stories suffer from or that the soul the focus was all about the parents and like how they were feeling and since the adoptee was a puppet we didn't get um a lot from
1: the child That's what I was going to ask you. Would you have preferred it to be like a child actor instead of, instead of a puppet? It's,
0: it's hard. It's like a, it's like seeing a really dark show with a, with a child character. It's like, Oh, I don't want to actually put a child through that, but I do Mm -hmm. want more perspective from the child. Like, cause they had an adult man portraying the child. So I'm like, Oh, I'd almost rather them not have the puppet and have him, you know, just pretend to be a child. I don't know, but Mm -hmm. the puppet was amazing. Like I, I had so many feelings about this puppet and the puppetry was done really well, but yeah, it was, it was a little upsetting that, um, like I said about the race thing. And then I do have to shout out the actor who played one of the, the queer couple parents, um, Esco Jule, who is incredible. They have this, uh, they're, um, training to be a professional boxer. They're a a trans person. And they decided they were going to fight, uh, in a professional match, with other men and it was going to be like the first, you know, trans person to be, uh, in, in this like echelon of fighting and their character was very like against the adoption. They were like, I can't believe these people would do this to this child. And then like slowly they have like the strongest bond to the child. And like, yeah, it was really, that was really beautiful to see. And they had like this amazing boxing number that you would have died for. (laughs) Um, I think you like texted me right yeah. after this. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, it me. was very <laughs> impressive. Um, but yeah, and I, I didn't do my research before the show. I figured that the playwright was an adoptee. Uh, and it, and from what I've read online, I don't think they are. Uh So that also mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, I wish more adoption stories were actually told by adoptees. I was also confused by the queer aspects of the couple. Like, So there was this whole aspect of the story where um, the white woman in the queer couple, her brother, who was played by a black actor, was very against the adoption as well. But just because he's like, I don't like what this is doing to your family. And you're, like, coddling this child and it's taking up all your energy and, like, you don't have enough time for me. What? He was also Ash's boxing coach. And he's (laughs) like, oh, you're now you're distracted and you're not doing well with boxing. So you should just, like send this child back to the original family basically oh
1: my god
0: um and then he like he starts a relationship with the original the first adopted parents dad and they basically form a plot to get the child back because the the first adoptive dad what? is like oh I want him back <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense to me like why the brother would do that like yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> very very important boxing yeah. motives but there's a lot of like twist to this like yeah yeah i don't know it seems like they packed a lot in it was a
0: very emotional show it doesn't end well for the child um as Mm -hmm. adoption you know stories kind of end up typically um but yeah it was it was interesting to see like how the queerness of the couple did actually come into play. Like, I thought it would be like, Oh, it's not a big deal. Like they're a queer couple. That's fine. And then it turned out that the first adoptive family dad was super homophobic. And that was one of the main reasons why he wanted the kid back. Got it. Um, yeah. Which seemed a little like outdated, but I guess, you know, that's still happening where people are trying to take adoption away from queer couples. But yeah, sure. yeah, I went, you know, I, I would have a hard time recommending this to an adoptee because it was so kind of emotionally scarring, but it was, you know, it was a really,
1: uh, well done play, I thought, uh, otherwise. That... Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know about the puppet aspect of it. I didn't really understand the full story of it mm-hmm. either. Um, it's not playing anymore, right? It's done.
0: I don't, Yeah, no, I think the run is over. Um, mm-hmm. the, the play, uh, the script is published. I saw it in the lobby. But yeah, and I'm sure it'll have a life outside of New York. It seems like a very good regional theater kind of community theater
1: production. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing it with us. It's yeah, wasn't something that was on my radar. Yeah. Um, now something that's on (laughs) everyone's (laughs) radar. And this is because I I haven't I haven't gotten to see a ton yet. I've seen a few shows and um. Yeah, the only one I wanted to shout out, I won't talk about it too much because so many folks are talking about it, is the revival of company and, um, a show that we wish was queer, but is not in my in heart. heart. <laughs> in my <laughs> heart. I know. I remember how excited I was when they announced that they were doing like the gender swap for Bobby and then it's like, but wait, everyone else is. Yeah. Too? Why? <laughs> Just leave, leave it the same. Um, they even like eliminated some of the queer undertones that were in the mm-hmm. original. Because um, there's that bit, you know. I I don't remember the character's name, but the one, uh, the one male identifying character like kind of comes on to male identifying yeah. Bobby, right? And they they like took yeah. that out. Even though they like, why why did they not have the more femme character come on to f- female I identifying Bobby? That. I don't know. Also,
0: And Joanne hits on Bobby, too, at the end, and I thought they would leave that in, and they didn't.
1: Yeah. I will say the thing, though, that I really, I I think is so interesting, like, probably the thing that makes the gender swap the most interesting to me is Joanne and Bobby's relationship, Mm -hmm. because, like, I feel like in the original version, Joanne finds Bobby very, like, kind of entertaining and, like, just an interesting person to observe Mm. like and does come on to them right so there's some attraction there but it's more like oh this poor guy like you just trying to guide him through life and tell him about how women are and then like when joanne is talking to female bobby it's kind of like you are you are the lady who Mm. lunches like you are the one that's fucked up it's like women putting down women so it's a little more yeah i don't know it darkens joanne's character for me yeah no i haven't
0: thought about that yeah yeah, it's interesting, like, which characters they swapped and which ones they left the same.
1: Yeah. Yeah, like, it's... I, I would argue, too, that the swap, besides, like, some very obvious, like, beating you down with it, things about, like, quote-unquote biological clock, uh-huh. like, it doesn't really do much to... I think they could have taken it even mm-hmm. further. Um But, yeah, it's. I think it's in, like, the individual relationships that I find it really interesting.
0: Can we talk about the... The this new like dream sequence they added, where all the characters play Bobby <laughs> in different yeah. like alternate versions of their life
1: <laughs> of like baby having uh-huh. Bobby and like married Bobby. It was cool from like a dir- it was definitely like a here's my director's thesis <laughs> scene, you know. But it was it was good. It was really cool, and it was more haunting for sure. Like a lot of this play is, yeah.
0: I was just very confused when a black woman came on stage in Bobby's costume and started doing things. I'm like, wait, do we have an understudy now?
1: Oh my god! And they go- <laughs> 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 yeah, but then soon a lot of Bobbies come out. Yeah, so. and then it made but a lot more sense. many Bobbies. Yeah, another highlight of it is watching Patty LaPone move chairs. <laughs> um, it is incredible. Watching her do group choreography is just like, it's worth the price of admission for like, just seeing her in side by side, moving chairs, doing the like hand jive. It's so good. It's
0: what like, nonsense. Uh, the Lame Miz story where why Fontaine isn't in like the barricade scenes is because in the original production in London, Patty like hid when that scene was being blocked so she wouldn't have to be in it. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's uh, amazing. That's, I think I read that in her uh memoir. Oh yes. Um, oh my god. When I saw it, it uh right before Ladies Who Lunch, what they had like a scenery malfunction and mm-hmm. the, as the bar set was coming forward with all the like dancers, they they it kinda like went on for a long time and then eventually <laughs> like someone came on the god mic and was like, Oh sorry, we're having a technical malfunction, we have to take a break. Um And then everything – it just, like, took, like, five minutes and then everything was fine. But, like, as the set was coming forward, they're, like, dancing, like, in a club. And Mm -hmm. there's just, like, one actor who's in, like, a G-string and, and, like, (laughs) pulsing. He's, like, doing, like, groin thrusts. And, like, I didn't even really notice that what was happening because I was just, like, watching this actor being, like,
1: focusing. And
0: I'm, like, oh, this is interesting. And then it just went on for a really long time.
1: I almost wish it paused at that scene for me too, because <laughs> what another highlight besides Patty moving chairs was Chris Siever wearing heels, like kitten heels. <laughs> which what a delight! Yeah. Like I wish there was more of that in my life. It was so good, <laughs> but yeah, that show is just such a like. I love that show so much. It's just a personal favorite. But the mm-hmm. um, like seeing it again always makes me remember. Like this is. The show is not about Bobby. It's about like all these incredible ensemble moments and like the kind of life around the character. Mm-hmm. So it was, the cast is so great. I, I really liked this production. Um, Katrina Link's like fascinating to watch, right? She's like mm-hmm. an alien. I'd stare at her all day. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just like a hard song to, a hard song, a hard score to switch to. Yeah. I think, a, a, like female identifying vocal range. I don't know. You yeah. know, it's like something about it gets a little lost in the, the changeover. No fault of the actor, I think.
0: Yeah. And then it, I would say like the opposite too. Like I watched their tiny desk concert before I saw the show. And I, I was really excited about hearing Katrina link sing Bobby's songs, but I wasn't prepared to hear men sing the women's songs Mm, and that mm -hmm. definitely jarred me. And I'm like, Oh no, I want, I want to go back, but
1: (laughs) I got (laughs) used to it (laughs) (laughs) to go back to before. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We can never go back to before.
1: We never can. It's true.
0: Um, I know you also are a Jenny, Jennifer Samard fan. Um, so great. She was the highlight of the show for me, I think.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I wish I would have like, Well, no, I wanted to see Patty, but Mm -hmm. when she was on for Joanne, can you imagine? Probably so good. I would love to see that. So more from her. She's just
0: so funny and specific and also just what a a beautiful voice that you can like hear over everybody else.
1: (laughs) So strong. Yeah. Again, like we always, or I always bring it up, like the people you always trust to sing things well, like Mm. (laughs) she's always going to knock it out of the park. It's so good. Yeah. Maybe one day we can see her on for Joanne yeah oh so great but yeah it's it's definitely worth seeing it was it was really good production mm-hmm. and then there there are things coming up which is always exciting yeah <laughs> new things to talk about yeah. Holly, What are you excited for uh one of our friends just saw seven
0: sins by company 14. So from the creator of Nutcracker Rouge and Queen of Hearts, you're cordially invited to give in to temptation and eat the apple with Adam and Eve in a mythical dreamscape inspired by the fall of man and the seven deadly sins. Immerse your senses in Company 14's signature melange of athletic circus artists, virtuosic singers, Baroque burlesque dancers, and lush design of Seven Sins, an elegant hedonistic cavalcade of naughty feats
1: and decadent treats." (laughs) Wow, so many high point scrabble words. Yeah. It's it's a great description. description. It is.
0: And from the photos and videos I've seen, it just looks so fun and like decadent and lavish. Um it is I looked at buying tickets and it is a little it's pretty pricey. Like the tickets are a couple hundred dollars each, but I did Mm -hmm. see it on TDF for $33. So keep your eye out for that. Um, and they have tickets on sale through the end of August, so you've got a while to oh, see nice. this, but yeah i'm I'm really excited to check this out. It looks very queer. I feel like an August weekday. does it have weekday shows or is
1: it only a weekend? I think
0: it's like a Thursday through Sunday thing
1: makes sense, yeah, yeah yeah i would I would love to go see this too. It sounds like what I wanted, not that I ever saw it because it was too expensive. What I wanted Queen of the Night to be mm.
0: I saw it because I I got a press ticket with my old boss Uh mm. and it was very fun and yeah, similar like burlesque elements, but it was very uncomfortable to see it with my boss. Um, <laughs> there was a moment where a dancer came up to our table and they had like a big leather dildo, kind of like a, a saddle. Right. Um, uh I don't know what you call it. The thing you hold on to with a saddle. Yeah. Um, Oh um It looked rains? like that <laughs> It wasn't the reins, it was like the stick thing at the front of the Oh, saddle. I know
1: what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 But like it was like the like horn that. on the saddle. Yes, the yeah. horn.
0: Okay, we'll mm-hmm. call it Yeah. And, but it was it's kind of that kind of a dildo, like on their groin and they <laughs> <laughs> he had us both like put our hands on it and like oh, hold God, it during the song. <laughs> and then uh, there's definitely a point where like they made everyone get up and like slow dance together and it was, Oh, that's so awkward. It was pretty awkward, but uh the show was really fun. So we yeah. got like dinner so that was nice.
1: Right. <laughs> Just don't go. This one also doesn't sound like one you want to go yeah. Your supervisor. Take a date,
0: so. take, you know, a friend with benefits, something, someone you feel comfortable getting, you know, sexy with, but. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it sounds like you, you're definitely going to have to participate in some way. Yeah.
0: Well. <laughs> For better or worse. I'm also super excited. They just announced, uh, K-pop is coming to Broadway this fall, uh, with an actual K-pop star who I'm not familiar with, but I'm going to look her up. Um, so excited to see that! Yay, more like Korean Asian casts on Broadway. Uh yeah. And I didn't get to see it when it was at Ars Nova, so very excited to see this production.
1: Yeah, same. I, I remember not getting to see it, and everyone being like, "It's going to transfer." We we didn't know how long <laughs> it was going to take, but here we are. So. Yeah,
0: and I think it it was like in a warehouse, wasn't it? And like you kind, it was kind of like a sleep no more thing where you move from room to room.
1: Yeah, I know you definitely had to like. You you didn't sit in one place. Yeah.
0: So I'm a little sad I missed out on like that experience, but I'm sure the Broadway will be
1: pretty exciting too. I didn't know there's a K-pop star in it. That's really cool.
0: Yeah. I really, I'm really curious to see like what the audience is going to look like with a bunch of like K-pop stands in it.
1: Yeah. And I'm also like, I don't know. I'll be curious when the ticket prices come out too, because Mm -hmm. I know plenty of, my students would lose their mind over something like that, but huh. you know, depending on how the price range is, like I don't know. There's K-pop fans of all ages, but I know it's really yeah. popular with like Gen Z and whatever the yeah. generation under that is called.
0: <laughs> so. Yeah, it's uh, like when I was taking Korean classes in person pre-pandemic, there were definitely a couple people there who were like, "I just really love K-pop and I want to understand it better, so I'm here."
1: <laughs> love that. Yeah.
0: What are you excited about?
1: Yeah. So we were at the public yesterday, which we're going to talk about more, but I um, kind of forgot how many venues are in that space. <laughs> <laughs> and so Walking through there, I was like, oh, I wonder what's going on Joe's Pub. So two very queer shows coming up. Um, the first one I'm shouting out, but I haven't committed yet to going because the shows all start at 930 or 10 o'clock. Oof. And yeah, we've... We know how this is. You're, you're <laughs> on so, a
0: school schedule now too. Yeah. So
1: <laughs> it's very difficult to wake up at six after that. Um, but it sounds so fun. It's Justin Vivian Bonds doing a show called Oh Mary, it's spring. <laughs> <And> it's <laughs> playing May 5th through May 15th. Tickets are 45 bucks. Um, and the, the blurb says to celebrate the arrival of spring and tar season birthday. What, what is C O W? Birthday no idea. cow? I have no idea what that means. Okay. <laughs> Well basically Dustin Vivian Bond is getting together with a band. Um it's songs by, for, or about Marys, brought to you by one of the most glamorous <laughs> Marys from the mystical, mythical myths of Maryland. Wow. Like, <laughs> yes. Queerness will ensue. So that is at the beginning of May. <laughs> and um the next show we are getting tickets for. Um, very excited about this. It's Taylor Mack and Nat Ray, one of Taylor Mack's Frequent uh, collaborators. It's called Songs from the Bark of Millions, and that's also <laughs> playing at Joe's Pub. Uh, so the blare for this is a new evening of original music celebrating queer luminaries throughout history. Joined on stage by members of the band from Taylor's award-winning 24-decade history of popular music, some new friends, and costumes by Machine Dazzle, which if you've ever seen Taylor, the costumes are always Machine Dazzle and they're always incredible. Follow um, Judy
0: on Instagram. Yes,
1: you must. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah, you can't listen to this podcast without following Judy on Instagram. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's six different shows. Uh, it starts on June 20th. There's two shows that week, four shows the following week, and as Judy is wont to do, every show is very different, which always gives me serious FOMO. I'm like, I wish I could go <laughs> to all of these. Um, the first two shows are shorter and cheaper. Um, they're thirty bucks, and I think they're. 90 minutes. And then the last four shows are 120 minutes. I think those are $45. Um, wow. and Joe's pub always has a minimum, which I looked up. It's two drinks or $12 of food. <laughs> so,
0: okay. That's not terrible. Yeah. It's not too
1: bad. <laughs> um, so we'll definitely be at a uh, Taylor Mac show. And if I can really commit to a big coffee the next morning, maybe Justin Vivian Bond show too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Wow. Those are both exciting. The the Mary one reminds me of that book that just came out. I think it's called Sarah Land, but it's like um a book of essays all about women named Sarah. And there's one about Sarah Paulson.
1: Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's supposed to be really good. <laughs> I have to add that to my list. I haven't heard of that. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
0: So we have some shows that we're, we're planning to see, which we've already talked about a little bit or have seen that we wanted to discuss. So we have tickets, uh, for colored girls who've considered suicide when the rainbow wasn't enough. We're going to that and it's playing through August 14th, uh, at, on Broadway at the Booth Theater. Uh, and I've never seen this show before. So me either. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Super. I've read it, but yeah, I've never seen it.
1: And then we're also uh, planning to see Strange Loop, which I feel like we've talked about so many times already on this podcast. So excited. <laughs> so excited. <laughs> it's starting very soon on April's. Well, when this podcast comes out, it'll already be in previews and it's opening at the Lyceum and it's open-ended run.
0: Megan, I know you're going to see How I Learned to Drive on Broadway, and that is open and selling through May 29th by Paula Vogel.
1: And I also caved and bought tickets to Funny Girl, probably because I binged all of impeachment and then spent a long time looking at Dini Feldstein and her girlfriend. So I'm going to see that <laughs> <laughs> next month. Uh, and that is at the August Wilson Theater, also open-ended run. Nice.
0: And then last night, we got to see together Suff's at The Public, uh, which is playing there through now May
1: 15th, they extended. Uh, so Suff's is uh, primarily about the um, women's suffrage movement. It follows Alice Paul. It takes place between the years of 1915 to roughly 1923 and really focuses in on those moments of um, the fight for the 19th Amendment and all of the... Many interesting and strange things that happen along that route.
0: <laughs> Book, Music, and Lyrics by Shana Taub, directed by Lee Silverman,
1: uh, and Choreography and Creative Consulting by Raja Feather Kelly. And I feel like I've been hearing about this production for a while, like yeah, over a year at least. It's been, I don't even know how, but it's been in my brain that this is a thing that is going to happen. So... It was very exciting, as I told you at length last night, to see something that was completely new for the first mm-hmm. time. Everything I've seen so far has been revivals, maybe new productions, but just to be able to sit in the theater and, like, take in something for the first time was really thrilling. Yeah.
0: This is the first new musical I've seen. Um I got to see On Sugar Land at New York Theatre Workshop, which was new let's start with how big the cast is. (laughs) Like it's a huge cast. So many people, especially for an off Broadway show. Yeah. Um, it's like a full stage uh, of, and it's a pretty diverse ensemble, which is exciting to see.
1: Yeah, There's, I feel like the first moment, you knew, you knew this was going to happen. They like bring everybody out to show how big the cast is. And I I feel like we were both a little overwhelmed. Like, Oh, (laughs) This is a lot of people. Um and the way that the stage is set up is like these stairs. It's like a super rake. It's like mm-hmm. the stairs to you said it was like I think Congress. Yeah. Or said, yeah. yeah, Congress. Um but because of that you can really clearly see how many people there are. They're not really hidden behind other cast members. So it really mm-hmm. creates a like huge picture <laughs> for
0: you. But everyone's so incredibly talented and I know, you know, we talked about,
1: um, Philippa Sue is in this. Well, you pointed it out that this is kind mm-hmm. of the first time we've seen Philippa Sue do something very different. Like, what did you mean by mm-hmm. that?
0: Yeah. I think most of, the, I've seen her in Natasha Pierre and Hamilton and I didn't get to see Amelie, but I feel like all, all those, both of those roles are very ingenue and very kind of demure. And it was very exciting to see her in a more like, fiery rage filled role yeah. Uh where she got to show, I think more range than we've seen before. Um, And I really enjoyed her performance in this.
1: Yeah. She was great. She was like, definitely you kept following her around the stage. Part of that was the costuming, mm-hmm. right? She's in an yeah. outfit that stands out, but the like way she moved the the character that she's supposed to be is like the feminist that everyone's like, she's the prettiest one. Everyone's obsessed with her. She's a celebrity. <laughs> and you could like see that. You she's very like magnetic. And mm-hmm. um yeah, she did an awesome job. Yeah. And she had my favorite theatrical
0: moment of the show where it was slight this is a slight <laughs> spoiler. Uh she comes out for a march on a giant white horse, like life-size stuff. Yep. <laughs> life-size horse, uh, at the top of the stage. And it is pretty it's like it's funny, but also I loved it so much. Yeah. It was one of those,
1: like, I was laughing, but I was, like, applauding at the same time. (laughs) I was like, this is so much.
0: And based on a real thing, too. Right.
1: Yeah, and the horse that they have for this is like hyper realistic, which is just like funny cuz this the set is very abstract, you know. Uh-huh. And it's like you have this very real looking like who knows what it's made of horse that she's on and um mm-hmm. yeah, that was a that was a key moment for sure.
0: Yeah, I think another cast standout for me was Grace McLean who plays Woodrow Wilson, uh, who has like these amazing like vaudeville shticky numbers as like so very tongue in cheek ironic of uh, you know, all the the whole cast is all women. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if everyone identifies as a woman, but you know, she's in drag as a man and uh talking about how much he loves the ladies while also <laughs> just saying these outlandish things about them.
1: It's so great. I mean, that's, it's probably my favorite part of the show is the like very camp drag version of Woodrow Wilson. Cause it's Mm -hmm. like, even just the, the way that it's staged is different. Like the curtains come in and it feels very like you're transported to a more like vaudevillian stage and the cane like dances. (laughs) And it's like kind of this weird mix of like Southern dandy but also, like, kind of effeminate at the same time. And there's, uh-huh. I feel like there's a lot you can analyze there that hasn't totally processed for me. But I love a good drag performance. And, <laughs> yeah, Grace McLean is delivering on it. It's so, it's so good. So good. <laughs> yeah. I could watch, like, the the lady's number on loop mm-hmm. for, like, an hour.
0: I think. Yeah. And I, I love her voice, too. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: And it just, like, I, I love the idea of... Yeah, I learned a lot about President Wilson that I did mm. not know that was a little horrific, right? So I, I love anytime you have the like, holy shit, I can't believe this happened paired with like a comedy presentation of it. It's, it's, uh, it mm-hmm. makes it even more like horrific at times. So
0: yeah. Yeah. I, I think some of the, the questions or, or issues I have with the show is starts with the title, like, like you said, this is really the story of Alice Paul, and it follows, like, her group of suffragists uh, and the kind of radical extremes that they were taking, again, that were different from, like, the older generation of suffragists at the time. But I feel like the name "suffs" makes it be like, oh, this show is about, like... The entire movement and like all the suffragists, mm-hmm. uh, who got, you know, women the vote, equal rights, things like that. And, or I guess it's just about voting, but it really did just focus on Alice Paul and there were, you know, there, Ida B. Wells was a character. There, were, there was, there's another black character, but it's, it's centering white folks again, like kind of the same issue that Hamilton has where, uh, even though they like blind color casted some of the characters, it's still, just focusing on the story of mostly white women. Um, And I think they did a better job than Hamilton of like incorporating other voices of color. But when you are saying like, Oh, this is, this is a show about the suffragist movement and you're only focusing on white folks.
1: That's like the history that's being perpetuated there. Yeah, It felt like they, they, I guess it's mostly Shana Top right in the creative team, like really wanted to tell the story of Alice Paul, but like to, do that in a way that they felt okay about like they needed to make these nods to the other characters or the other Mm -hmm. real real people they're not just characters Mm -hmm. but like as we were talking about like you get like three amazing moments of Ida B. Wells Nikki M. James is incredible in that role Mm -hmm. so good but like that story is so complex like she kind of brings up a little bit in one scene how she's fighting against like lynching laws and it's Mm -hmm. like a side note, you know, this is a long musical. There's just things that are like, Oh, there's, there's a lot more going on outside of Alice Paul's story that we don't really, we also don't know about that side of the history. And it feels like it's a, an acknowledgement to it when it needs to be incorporated more. But at the same time Mm -hmm. we were saying, you know, it's not Shana Taub's role to write the Ida B. Wells musical, but
0: yeah, no, it's hard. Like, I had complicated feelings around one of Ida's big numbers when um, the Alice Paul character basically tells her to, like, wait her turn mm-hmm. to get her rights to vote and to be, you know, part of the movement. And she has this, like, amazing number where she's like, you know, don't you dare tell me to wait my turn. I've been told that my whole life. And, and like – people were really into it, but I'm also like, oh, this is a a white woman writing this (laughs) and I don't like, this isn't the like narrative that I want to hear from, or this isn't the person I want to hear this um, song from, I guess. Mm -hmm. And and it, yeah, it gets complicated of like, yeah, how do people who are of the majority, like write uh, a show that includes diverse voices, but, you know, doesn't do it in a problematic way. Um, And, you know, I think the she, yeah, she, she's not the person to write the Ida B. Wells musical, obviously. And, you know, she did her best to try and to incorporate it,
1: but yeah, it's hard. Yeah. We know enough about Chena Taub and her like political leanings and activism that like, you know, her intention is not to shut out these voices, but at the same time, how, how can you authentically incorporate it in the way that the show is being put together? Um, yeah,
0: Um And I think I reading all the notes in the, in the program, uh, they're definitely aware of that, and it seems like they're they were trying to show these women in like in all their facets not glorify them and say you know mm-hmm. there were a lot of issues with this movement um which i which I think they did a good job of you know saying like calling them out on their yeah. like white feminism
1: from like the very beginning, it's like integrated mm-hmm. throughout the whole musical um mm-hmm. and none of the characters are like extremely sympathetic for better or worse, right you mm-hmm. you're not like. For giving Alice Paul for telling Ida B. Wallace to wait her turn, you're kind of like, this, right. this is messed up, right? She's not, she's not necessarily a character that you like feel bad for in that moment. Um, yeah, the other thing too, in terms of, um, just like inclusion is, well, we got to talk about the queer of it, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> or the lack of queer of the it. The lack of queer, <laughs> even though how rare is it, right? That we actually get, a show based on real events, based on history that includes actual queer people who are known to be queer, but it mm. doesn't come up. <laughs> yeah. <know>? <laughs> like, like,
0: and a show with just a full cast of women. Like yep. Yep. so like uh like an all girl school.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. And so at the end, right, I I mean, if people the people saying next to probably like these people are losing their mind. Um, because <laughs> anytime Jen Kalila's character, Carrie Cat, is on stage with this other woman who is clearly her partner, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're political partners, but like it doesn't take a genius to see that this is a relationship. <laughs> you know, we're waiting for that acknowledgement. We're, I'm just waiting for her to like put her hand on her shoulder in a suggestive way. Anything, you know? And it doesn't come until the very end, spoiler, doesn't come until the very <laughs> end of the show. But in a way that's like, oh, twist, you didn't know she was gay. And it's like, <laughs> no, this should have been part of this complex character from the beginning to make us see the, all the different intersectionality issues that were happening with this mm-hmm. movement. But I, I'm very curious why they chose to not center that as much. And uh you were also sending me stuff about Alice Paul <laughs> being gay.
0: Yeah, Well, because in the show, one of the characters is like oh you're a dyke right right (laughs) and and you know she doesn't really answer and so i i did like some research when we got home of like oh was she queer and it seems unclear like it seems she's very private and there's really like nothing in the show about any of the women's lives, like outside of the movement. Mm-hmm. Like we, there's kind of one romantic couple in the show, but like, yeah, we don't hear anything else about like families or children or anything like that. And I think you were saying that like, that did put kind of like an emotional uh blockade up for you. Like mm-hmm. yeah, me too. Of like, Oh, you didn't have so much of an emotional investment because you didn't know much else about these women outside of their, their devotion
1: to the cause. Right. I don't know. It's, it's interesting what was, and I understand there's so many historical characters packed into this show, so Mm -hmm. you can't tell everything in two hours and 45 minutes, but I don't know if this is about letting people today see themselves in this movement. Like why not put queerness more front and center? It doesn't have to be the Mm -hmm. story, but it should be, it should be vocalized.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was really hoping for, for more of that. And I feel like, If it had been a queer writer, it definitely would have been more part of the story.
1: Yeah. I also just want to say that I, I really did enjoy the music. I, I think Shayna Taub is a really talented writer and Mm -hmm. the complexities of this show, like I can't imagine how long it took her to put this together and it's super um, easy to follow. Like it's everything makes sense the way that it's literally like. Put together, it's it's not confusing at all, and I feel like that can often happen with a show like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and her music like really shines when she gets to do those things that she's always done. Like when I was thinking about when she worked with like Bill Irwin and Tina Landau and did this clowning show, and she did all this mm-hmm. like vaudeville style music for it, and it was fantastic. Oh,
0: I forgot, I saw that. Yeah, yeah.
1: old hats. Um, so yeah, old hats. That's it. Yeah. Um, but like that style of music serves her so well so Mm -hmm. i think that's why the president wilson moments stand out or there's that duet about like if we were married that feels very like vaudeville song and dance Mm -hmm. that's like two folks going back and forth about their differences i don't know i'm not saying this well (laughs) but (laughs) the music itself is very very unique very i i've i've seen like a This, the style of musical is conventional, but like the music itself is very much her, her voice, which is cool. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I do want to talk about like the, the way they cast the show with, in terms of race, like Mm -hmm. because there were some characters who were cast like specifically black because, you know, Ida B. Wells is black. Uh, but then there were people of color cast as white women and you aren't really sure through the show of like, Are they white? Are they, like, the way that they present to be? And I think, you know, it's great that we can have people of color cast as white people because – especially in a story that centers white people. But I think it does – it confused me, and I was trying to figure out why that, like, if it wasn't said they were specifically white, I feel like it automatically – It's like, oh, the audience will assume that they are white because they will assume that that's, like, the norm. Mm. And and I wish – and I don't know how exactly
1: to solve this, but – Well, it confused me with um, the character of Alva Belmont, who's, like, the benefactor, the, Mm -hmm. like, rich benefactor. Because the actor playing this character is black. And so Mm -hmm. I actually assume that the character – that the person was black until I looked it up. But then I was really confused as to like why she was siding with the women who had like sidelined and put aside the black movement, you know? So Mm -hmm. I was like, this is very strange. Like, why is this woman not working with Ida B Wells or with Mary Church Terrell? You know? So I was like, I don't understand. So that was confusing to me. And then I looked it up. I think she says this
0: wealthy white woman. And then she like winked at the audience. But that was like the only moment oh, that something like that happened. I missed happened. it. See? <laughs> it was very fast. And I'm like, wait, did that just happen? Yeah. And she says every grassroots group needs a rich white broad.
1: Okay. Yeah. I didn't yeah. catch that. So that, I guess they did clarify it. And that was my own confusion. Cause I was.
0: Yeah. I, but I heard it and I was like, wait, did I mishear that? And then, um, she kind of winked and everyone laughed. So I'm like, okay, I think she is supposed to be a white lady.
1: (laughs) Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. None of that clocked for me. Okay. (laughs) So so to your point, confusing, depending on what you're thinking it is. Yeah. Cause they do have people of
0: color in like some of the main roles and I'm like, Oh, and, and they have this uh, conversation argument about like, Oh, should we let the women of color in with our March or not? And like lose the Southern support and money. And you know, they all have different opinions, but I'm like, I can't tell if these women, yeah, are supposed to be white or women of color. And, right. Yeah. And then I'm like, they must be white because the white women at the time wouldn't have like worked so closely with women of color like that. White until proven
1: otherwise. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I guess like if U.S. history hadn't failed me as much, I would have known this going in. <laughs> <But> <laughs> most of these were new people to me, so. hmm yeah, so we, we noticed that, uh, the person understudying Shana Todd, the Alice Paul role, identifies as non-binary, and I would be very curious to see the show with Holly Golden. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm wondering how that would change my, um, problem with, like, queer visibility in, in the mm. story.
0: Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, anytime if a queer person can play, well, I guess we don't know if she's actually queer.
1: <laughs> queer until proven otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I live. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed the experience of seeing it. I'm really happy I got to see it. The performances were awesome. Um, I don't think I would pay as much money as they're asking for a ticket to see this. Uh, <laughs> but that's me personally. So
0: yeah. Yeah. And I think the show will probably be around for a long time. And, and, and it is an interesting part of history that I didn't know enough about. So I'm yeah. Glad. Yeah. I'm also glad I got to see it.
1: Prompted me to watch a very long PBS documentary about it. So <laughs> good job, Fiona. You got me to do yeah. that. <laughs> all right. Just a couple of things before we wrap up our episode here. Um, so for today's action of the app, just conscious of all of the things that are in the news right now about legislation against trans folks, um, as particularly trans young people in Texas and Florida and other states. Uh, just a couple options that you can help support trans kids. Um, and we have two two options here. The first one is an action. Took two minutes for me to do this morning. So this is from the ACLU, and it's a pledge to support trans youth. They're trying to gather a 100,000 signatures so that they can use this in their their fights, their legislative fights, um, against these laws that are going into place. Uh, they're trying to show the wide support of the public, uh, for trans youth. So it takes like two seconds to sign up for it. It'll also, um, put you on their mailing list as additional actions come up for, um, ways to advocate for trans youth. So we'll link to that in our show notes. And if you're looking for a place to
0: donate, you can send money to the Thrive Youth Center in San Antonio, Texas. Um, Their mission is to provide a safe and supportive center for homeless LGBTQ youth so they can become productive, skilled, educated, and successful adults with the opportunity to achieve their dreams. Uh, And they give free case management and education support, mental health counseling, career counseling, and transition-related supports that include access to hormones, access to legal support, and then name and gender marker changes as well. And if you're local to San Antonio, you can get involved in person uh, as a volunteer. And we will link to all that in the notes. And finally, we have a couple queer culture recommendations for you. I want to recommend a, a new TV show. It's called Astrid and Lily Save the World on Sci Fi. And it's kind of a buffy spin-off oh, wow. um, it's two high school girls um, who you know open mistakenly a portal and they have to kill <laughs> a bunch of demons to close the portal and uh the two main characters are fat and it's so exciting Yay. to see um People who look more like me in a sci-fi show and they're smart and funny um and sexy and there's definitely some queer stuff that's coming. I haven't gotten there yet, but I know it's coming. <laughs> um one of the characters is part Asian. Uh it's it's very cute, it's very campy. It's right up my alley. So I'm really enjoying watching that.
1: Oh, that sounds awesome. On yeah. sci fi you said? Mm-hmm. Okay. How do I stream sci-fi?
0: I think maybe I had to log in through my parents' uh oh, okay. account,
1: yeah, get a Boomer's login and YouTube yeah. can watch <laughs> <Straight> <laughs> and really save the
0: world. I hope it'll come onto like Netflix or Hulu sometime soon. I'm sure it will, yeah, yeah.
1: And my queer culture wrecks. I've been doing a lot of reading since I commute every day. So I get lots of good book time on the train. Um, two books I just wanted to shout out that I've read in the last month that are queer. Uh, one is called Black Cake. It's by Charmaine Wilkerson. It's one of those stories that's like, you couldn't, you wouldn't even be able to tell from any of the press that it's queer, right? And it's just like the main, one of the main characters Two, three of the main characters happen to be queer. And it's just like kind oh, nice. of part to the overall story, intergenerational story. It's about two siblings um, whose mother passed away and she leaves these tapes telling the real story about her life. So it's all kind of oh, being wow. unraveled and it's it's beautiful. I can't believe this is this author's debut novel. It's huh. awesome. Um, and the second one is Razorblade Tears by S.A. Cosby. Uh, this is a crime novel, not my typical, <laughs> but it is about, it is weirdly endearing because it is about two homophobic dads whose sons are killed in a hate crime and they team up to take down <laughs> their sons' <laughs> murderers and it is like super fascinating because you go and the chapters switch their perspective from the two characters. So you get to mm. go inside of the minds of these, uh, these men and see kind of what they're grappling with, with like their son's loss. And one is pretty homophobic. The other one is more just estranged from his son. So they're going mm-hmm. through very different journeys. They encounter and like, Beat down a lot of homophobic people throughout the <laughs> book. <laughs> and it's, cool. it's awesome. Um, and <laughs> both of these books are now in Holly's possession. So. Yes. You just <laughs>
0: gave them both to me. I'm very excited. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so both good wrecks.
0: Yeah. And I know Razorblade Tears was the top of Roxanne Gay's like favorite books from last year too. So. Yeah many recommendations
1: it's pretty gory though. there's some gory scenes so if you're okay if you're not one for plotting guts it can get a little Oof. but okay. it's worth it it's worth yeah it. i'm excited
0: <laughs> well i'm so glad we're back and excited to talk more queer stuff this year
1: yeah we got lots of good guests coming up so yeah really excited to wait. share all right until next time <laughs> Thanks for listening. If
0: you like, please follow, rate, and review us and share us with your friends. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Thesis on Joan. we love to hear your queer culture backs and ideas for clearing the canon. Send us an email at thesisonjoan at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail
1: at 845-445-9251. Come back for more interviews, fun queer content, recommendations, and discussions on current theater. Until next time, keep it queer. Not that it'd be that hard for y'all to do.
0: <laughs> One of our friends just saw Seven Sins by Company 14. This is 14,
1: right? Yeah, that's 14. X-I-V. Yes. Cool, cool. That's a blooper. All right, great, great. Yeah. <laughs>